you have your Bibles this morning, I want you to join me in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 7. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 7. In this passage of Scripture, the Bible tells us about a man of integrity, a righteous man. And the Bible has something to say about walking in righteousness, walking in integrity as a dad. The sermon this morning that I'm going to be preaching is entitled, Becoming a Godly Man. Now, I want you to listen, please. I want you to hear my heart here. I am not coming to you dressed in a judge's robe with a gavel in my hand. It's important that you understand that. I'm coming to you today as your pastor with a Bible in my hand to share with you some biblical truths. It's not my intent today to give you a comprehensive list of what the Bible says godly men are. My desire is that we look at some key principles in the Word of God on becoming a godly man. And that we would not just be hearers only, but that we would take the Word of truth and that we would flesh out that truth the remainder of this week. That we would be moved of the Holy Spirit of God to put in practice the things that we see and learn from God's Word. That's my desire. It really is my deep, deep desire as your pastor to preach the Word of truth and just say, here's what the Bible says. Here's what God's Word says. In this particular passage, you'll notice it there. If you're able to stand, would you please stand as we honor the reading of God's Word? Notice what the Bible says here. The just man walks in his integrity. His children are blessed after him. Look at it again. The just man, that is, the word just there means righteous. The righteous man walks in his integrity. His children are blessed after him. Remember, integrity is who you are when no one's looking. Man, that's such a, an important concept. But it goes beyond that. It means so much more, DeWitt. Let me show you what I mean. You may be seated. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray you'd speak to our hearts today. And God, I pray this Father's Day would be one that we say, man, it was good to be in the Lord's house today. The Spirit of God, the testimonies, the baptisms, the music, the song, and now the sermon. I pray, God, that you'd be glorified. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. In honor of Father's Day, I thought I'd begin with a little story. Did you hear about the uh, widower? Uh, he, uh, his wife had died several years ago, and he had several children. His children were trying to help him, and they, would, they wanted their dad to find somebody. He was still young, and, but he worked and traveled all over the place. Well, on one particular occasion, this uh, widower got on an airplane, and he sat down next to a beautiful single woman. He asked the ladies, after they struck up a conversation, he said, ma'am, could I be so bold as to ask you, what type of man are you looking for? To which she turned and she said, oh, I don't know. She said, I, I'm going to be honest with you, I kind of like Native American men. I like their high cheekbones, their dark, tan, complected skin. But when I think about it, I, I think about how I like Jewish men too. They're so intelligent and they seem to all be successful. But I'm going to tell you this, sir. She said, the one man that I probably am more attracted to more than anything else is a southern boy. 
I love his slow southern drawl. I just love the way that he talks. By the way, the lady said, what's your name, sir? He looked her deep in the eye and he said, my name, ma'am, is Geronimo Sitting Foot Bernstein. <laughs> but all my friends call me Bubba. <laughs> all right, so the Bible has a lot to say about godly men. And by the way, you can be a Bubba and be a godly man. And in thinking about this morning the Word of God and thinking about a godly man and becoming a godly man, I wanted to use Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 7 as a springboard to consider the benefits of being a godly man. If you are a godly man, a godly father, the Bible says that your children are blessed after you. That is, as you travel along, your children are blessed. You look at your children, you see how blessed that they are. That is a direct result of your godliness. Godliness is an overall characteristic of a man who will make it easy for his children to honor him. If you want your children to honor you, dads, and be joyful in that honor that they give you, then mark it down. You be a godly man. You love the Lord more than anything. You get in the Word of God more than anything. Study the Word. Be secure in the Word. These are some of the things I want to talk about this morning in regards to becoming a godly man. The Bible tells us over in Galatians chapter 5 that a godly man will exemplify the fruits of the Spirit. Now, be it minded, today is Father's Day, and I'm focusing on fathers, but the principles that we'll be looking at today are general principles at their very core. They're principles that every one of us can put into practice in our lives that we might be a godly man or a godly woman. The bottom line is simply this. The Bible says those that walk after the Spirit are characterized with a deep sense of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Yet a lack of the fruits of the Spirit almost always end, even in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 and following, through degradation and awful instances of uh, unrighteousness that is displayed in our world today. Things like immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, that is, fighting and strife and jealousy and outbursts of anger and disputes and distension, distin dissensions and, and fractions within the church and drunkenness and carousing. What's sad is that there are many churches that can be categorized as that right there. And how heartbreaking it is that a born-again child of God who's supposed to be living the victorious Christian life find himself in a place of such degradation. It truly is a slow fade. One doesn't wake up one day and say, I think I'm going to be a reprobate today. No, they slowly fade by getting out of the Word of God, getting out of Sunday school, getting out of church until finally you're watching us on television or watching on the video and just so you can give a tip to the hat of God saying, well, I, I attempted it, I, I gave it a shot. Now, I thank God for our ministry on, online where you're in the hospital and you're watching. You're watching in other parts of the world. I'm grateful. I love it when you tell me where you guys are at and where you're watching from. To God be the glory. But we should never use that as an excuse not to go to church. Godliness should be the overall characteristic of our lives that will make it easy for our children to joyfully honor us. The Bible has a lot to say about godliness. And this morning I want to 
give you six characteristics or six character qualities, if I could, about becoming a godly man or a godly father. The first one I want to point out is found over in Psalms chapter number 1. In Psalms chapter 1 and Psalms chapter 15, both are very, very good passages of Scripture to anchor ourselves to as husbands and dads and fathers for every day exemplification of living a life of godliness. The Bible tells us in Psalms 1.1, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he doth meditate day and night. The Bible tells us in verse number 3, And he shall be planted like a tree by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. According to the Word of God here in this passage of Scripture, there are three things I'd like to point out here, and then we'll go over to Psalms chapter 15. I'll give you three more things, and we'll be dismissed here this morning. But the first thing I want to point out here in Psalms 1-1 is that a godly man avoids evil. A godly man avoids evil. Dear friend, you don't have to look far today to know that we're living in an evil world. Amen? I mean, just think. Uh, who would have thought that, the, that Georgia would be getting the spotlight and highlight by which we are getting because of our stance on life? Yep. Thank God we've got some folks in office that aren't afraid to say, we're, we believe life begins at conception. Uh, we're living in an evil world. Yep. Uh, we're living in a world where people more, would rather trust Hollywood than they'd trust the king of heaven. But Psalms 1-1 says, How blessed is the man that does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. You know what the Bible's telling us? The Bible says don't listen to culture. Don't listen to what the culture says. Listen to what the counselor says from the Word of God. And the counselor tells us, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. He is simply telling us there in this particular passage of Scripture that we should not walk in the counsel of the wicked. And I'm here to tell you today there are many born-again children of God that would rather listen to what the television says than what the Word of God says. And we've got to make our minds up, Dad. We've got to make our minds up. Are we going to listen to what God says or are we going to listen to what culture says? Culture says Sunday ought to be family day. God says that, t- that today, Sunday ought to be the day that we come into the storehouse. We bring our, and we worship together. We worship the Lord. By the way, let me just say this. I know of no greater family day than to be at church with your kids. The Bible also says, nor standeth in the path of sinners. According to the Word of God, it says, Blessed is the man that does not stand in the path of sinners. What he's simply saying there is, don't, don't get, get off the road of immorality. Get off the road of this hedonistic society and get on the narrow path, the Word of God. Don't live your life in the cultural element of today because it will lead you to hell. Put your life and let the Word of God be the center of your life and walk down the road of righteousness through the Word of God. That, what that means is your life ought to look different than the world. And, and then he goes on to say, here in the text, nor sitteth in the seat of scoffers. Don't put yourself in a position where you talk down about other people. 
Man, listen, we're born again children of God. If, if, if God treated us the way he did in, in this arena of forgiveness and restoration, then why on earth, why on earth would we just condemn somebody and kick them while they're down? I have never, ever seen a culture, a church culture, <clears throat> in particular Southern Baptist, in particular our denomination, kick somebody when they're down and not help them get back up. God, have mercy on our souls. Nobody in this room is perfect. Nobody has walked the straight and narrow except for Jesus Christ. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. Nobody in this room is perfect. But the Bible tells us this. You ought to avoid evil. Why? Because you will listen to the loudest voices that are around you. You will. Several years ago, I got a phone call from a lady. She said, can you come see my husband? I'd won him to Christ a couple of years ago, and uh, he was really struggling. He was in the Word of God. He was in his Bible. He was in Sunday school. He's in church. And, I mean, faith. Well, the whole family taking up a whole uh, pew. I mean, it was just amazing. God had done a, a miracle in his life. I said, what's going on? She said, well, he started hanging out with his old friends again. He's drinking again. I said, I tell you what, just as soon as the Lord puts it on my heart, when the time is right, I will stop by and see. Well, I was in my devotion one day, and the Lord said, okay, now's the day. I want you to go. So I got in my car. I drove to their house, got up, knocked on the door. The wife opened the door. She said, I cannot believe you're here right now. He is on the back porch drinking. So I walked inside, and I made my way down to the back porch, and I put my hand on the screen door, and when I opened the back porch, he saw me step out. And when he saw me step out, he was sitting there with a beer in his hand. I want you to watch this now. He takes a beer, and as soon as he sees me, he puts it behind him. I'm going to ask you a question. Why did he do that? Because he was ashamed. He hung his head down. He said, Preacher, I'm so ashamed that you're back here with me. And I told him just what I'm telling you right now. I'm not your judge. You've got to understand. I'm not your judge. I'm your pastor. I don't come with a gavel to condemn you. I come with a Bible to say there's restoration in Jesus. I said, what happened? He said, well, I wanted to win my friends to Christ, and so I went to the only place where my friends were, the bar. And to make a long story short, there were more of them than there were of me. And I listened to what they were saying. And I listened to them and listened to them. And I finally gave in. Dear friend, listen to me very carefully. You will listen to the loudest voices that are speaking in your head. I'm telling you, the loudest voice needs to be the Word of God. The Bible says a godly man avoids evil. Number two, the godly man seeks God's word. Look at what the Bible says in verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he doth meditate day and night. A godly man also is blessed because of his priority in knowing and following the Scriptures. The Bible says his delight is in the law of the Lord. This kind of delight in the law of the Lord is seen very clearly throughout all of Scripture. Psalms 119 gives us beautiful, one of the longest uh, books in the Bible, but gives a beautiful picture of loving the law of the Lord. 
I love Psalm chapter 19, in particular verses 7 through 11, as it describes how beautiful the Word of God is. And it's in that text. As a matter of fact, let, let, let's turn over there if we could. I, I hadn't turned there all day, but I, I just feel like we need to. Let, go over to Psalm chapter 19. Psalm chapter 19. I want you to notice uh, with me, if you will, beginning in verse number 7. Psalm 19, verse number 7. Notice what the Scripture says. The law of the Lord is perfect. What's perfect? The law of the Lord. What's the law of the Lord? For us, if all Scripture is given to us for instruction, for correction, it's the Word of God. The Word of God is perfect. Converting what? The soul. The only way to have your soul converted is to hear the truth. And the truth is found in the Word of God. And the Word of God is perfect. And the Word of God, when it speaks of salvation, it gives us the perfect plan of salvation. What's the perfect plan of salvation? Paul said it's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. No man will come to the Father but by Jesus. Jesus even said that. He said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. We find here the Bible is very clear. The Bible tells us that the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure making wise the simple. You're making dumb mistakes? I can almost bet you're not reading the Word of God. If you'll get in the Word of God, you'll make wiser decisions. Number eight, the Bible says, verse eight, the statutes of the Lord are right. What is he talking about? The precepts, the principles. They're right in the Word of God, he says. They're right in rejoicing the heart. That is when you take a principle from God's Word, put it in your heart, flesh it out in truth, you're a happier person. I wonder why that's why Southern Baptists have their lips stuck out so many times and are so upset. I mean, they're some of the most cantankerous people I think I've ever met. I'll tell you what would be good for us. Bless God, it'd be good if we took the statutes of the Lord and rejoiced in the heart. I just had a little rapture practice. Did y'all see that? I had a guy come up to me this last hour, Judy. He says, I hope you're not offended by this. He said, but... Uh, you remind me of an independent Baptist preacher. I put my glasses down like this. I said, I'm a recovering independent Baptist. Look, I don't like labels. I like to be full of the Holy Ghost. The Bible says that this man of God delights in the law of the Lord. Why? Because the statutes, the statutes make my heart rejoice. Look at what he says in verse 8. I got to hurry. I knew I shouldn't have come here. Look at what the Scripture says. The commandment of the Lord is pure. What's pure? The commandment of the Lord. You can't go wrong with the commandments. Oh, it enlightens the eyes, he says. Verse 9, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. You get the point. The Bible is clear. The Bible says that a righteous man, a godly man, will seek the Lord. He wants to be in the Word of God. No wonder the Scripture says that the Bible is better than gold. It's more finer than gold. And it is more satisfying than drops of honey from a honeycomb. The rewards, the precepts that we get from the Word of God. We find that a godly man will consistently meditate upon God's Word. 
not just settling it for being up here in memorization, but wanting to flesh it out through his heart because he's pondered it, he's contemplated it, he's thought about it. And then he's tried to adjust his life into a situation where he now lives out the truth of God's Word. That will change a nation and a family right there. Let me say it the other way. That will change a family and a nation. Number three, let me, let me, let me challenge you with this. Dads, does this mark your life? Does this, does this point mark a godly man seeks God's word? Are you seeking God in his word? Number three, the godly man is secure and faithful. Notice what the scripture says in verse 3 of our text over in, uh, in Psalm chapter 1. Psalm 1, go back to Psalm 1. The Bible says in Psalm 1 in verse 3, And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, and bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. According to the word of God, that man of God, that godly man, is secure and faithful. That is to say that that security, excuse me, and fruitfulness comes from the direct source of where he gets his nutrients. According to this psalm, the Bible says he's planted by the river. The fact of the matter is simply this. As born-again children of God, we ought to plant ourselves in the river of God's Word so that we can get the nutrients and refreshment in our life so that we can produce fruit year after year after year after year during the fruitful seasons of our life. I love the fact that the Bible says that you'll have seasons in your life. And I love the fact that he illustrates this in regards to the arena of us being a tree planted by the river. There are going to be seasons in your life where storms come. You can still get the nutrients you need from the Word of God. There are going to be times in your lives where heartache will come. There will be times when disappointments will come. There will be times when you will absolutely be frustrated and angry. There will be a dryness. There will be a sense of dryness. But if you're anchored into the river, you'll never lose your nutrients. Because you're secure in the river of life. I was talking to a dad just a few months ago and he was sharing with me about how difficult his situation was. And he asked me, he said, do you really think God cares about my financial situation? And do you really think that God can help me? I pointed him to Hebrews 13.5. Listen to what Hebrews 13.5 says. Let your conversation be without covetousness. The covetousness that the Bible's talking about here is the love of money. He says, let your conversation be without the love of money. Why? Listen to what Scripture says. And be content with such things that you have. For he saith, I will never leave thee or forsake thee. Dear friend, if the word of God is truth, if the word of God is pure, if the word of God has no mixture of error, then God will take care of you he will never leave you he'll never forsake you so why do I feel so far away from him because you're running from him a lot of times we fail to remember that God is the same he was the same yesterday today and forever and as creatures that God has created he give he has given us something he hadn't given anybody else that's a free will we can choose to come to him or we can choose to walk away from him 
And that choice is yours, sir. Dad, that choice is yours, ma'am. And the reason why you feel so far away from God, you made your choice. You walked away from him. Now, for a born-again child of God, you may have walked away from him. Thank God you can never lose your salvation. But the Word of God is saying, come home today. Come home today. Get security and faithfulness to the Word of God. A godly man is secure and faithful. A godly man seeks God's Word. A godly man avoids evil. Now, let's turn over just for a few moments with what little time I've got left. And let's look at these last three. They're found over in Psalms chapter 15. Just a few pages over. In Psalms chapter 15, David, who's writing this psalm, begins this psalm with a rhetorical question. Actually, there are two rhetorical questions. He asks this question, Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy city? This is Old Testament verbiage of saying, God, who can stand before your presence? Who can do that? And then there's the answer to that question. Only a godly man, only a godly woman can stand in the presence of God. Notice what the Scripture says in verse 2. He that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness... And speaketh the truth in his heart. There's the three right there. Let's look at them a little bit more closely if we could. If you're keeping score, we're calling this number four. The godly man walks in integrity. Now, we've already said integrity is who you are in private when no one's looking. Biblical integrity goes much deeper than that. In the building trade, it was, uh, interestingly enough, referred to the soundness of the construction. If it was strong throughout and there was no danger of it of collapsing, then that, in that particular building had great integrity. Therefore, when you think about that and think about even here in Maisel Baptist Church, you go out our driveway, turn right, you go down to Hurricane Shoals, that's as far as you're going to get, brothers and sisters. Why? Because the bridge had its integrity compromised. So what do you mean? So, uh, according to those that have, have shared with me, said those, uh, those uh, transfer trucks and vehicles that have gone that way all these years, all these years, they come down that hill and hit that bridge, come down that hill and hit that bridge. It has caused a tremendous amount of stress on the columns there, and it has compromised its integrity. So it's being fixed. And while it's being fixed, we suffer. <laughs> but... Watch this now. Anytime you're put in a position of suffering, you also receive a great blessing. So this word in regards to the Christian life in dealing with godly men and women, the idea here is dealing with our moral commitment, our moral conduct that we flesh out. It's who people see us as. The man that walks with integrity is a person whose character is decent, whose character is moral, whose character is sincere, honest, respectable. And watch this. This type of man will not compromise, will not compromise those qualities. Uh, in between services, I had a dear brother come up to me, tears running down his cheek. He said, I, I really want you to pray for me because you're talking about this list here. 
You're talking about that list of moral character. Decent, moral, sincere, honest, honorable, respectable. He says, I don't know what it is right now that I'm experiencing, but I am experiencing such anger inside of me with others. But I want to tell you, he said, can you, can you shed some light on it? I'll tell you what the problem is. We live in an angry world. I mean, everybody's mad. I mean, everybody's upset and worked up over something. I think we delight in being angry at each other. And it ought not to be so in particular amongst the realm of us as born-again children of God. And so, and the question just simply came about, and this is the question, how do I combat that, Pastor? Can you give me something? How do I combat that? And this is all I said. I just said, Here, here's what, what we need to do. We need to look at people through the eyes of Jesus. When that person cuts you off, look at them through the eyes of Jesus. When that person treats you ugly or maybe doesn't respect you or doesn't talk the way you think they need to talk to you, look at them like Jesus looks at you. How does Jesus look at you? I don't know about you, but I am grateful that Jesus looks at me through the eyes of grace, mercy, and love. Boy, do us well to exercise some grace, mercy, and love. There ain't no better place to do that than Walmart. Can I get a witness? I love what the King James says here. He uses the word uprightly. I mean, you, you, can you picture that? You're just upright. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said that that word uprightly is likened to a man walking on a tightrope. He stands straight up because he doesn't want to sway either way lest he fall. Can I ask you this question, sir? Dad, please. Just a question the Lord laid on my heart. How are you doing in the area of integrity? Your moral character. Go beyond who you are just by yourself. But who do people think that you are? What do people say about you? Number five. The godly man works righteousness. Look at what the scripture says. It says, he that walks in integrity will stand in the presence of God and works righteousness. For the godly man is a natural outgrowth, or from a godly man, a natural outgrowth from walking in integrity is righteous works. Hey. Living for Jesus. Righteousness differs from integrity in that the standard of righteousness is holiness of God, while the standard of integrity can be an individual or society. Society is pushing against us. Culture is pushing against us. And when we look at our integrity, we're being pushed by that and influenced by that. But when it comes to the reality of righteousness, we look to God and say, He's perfect. And that's what we are to become more like Jesus, more like God. Those who would be godly are saved so that they might uh, be holy and blameless before God, according to Ephesians 1.4. It is through the faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ that his righteousness has been imputed unto us. And as it's been imputed or deposited in us, Philippians 3, 9, so that we have a standing before God that is holy and blameless. When God looks at a born-again child of God, the blood of Jesus has cleansed us from every sin. So he says the natural outpouring of that is going to be good works. James talked about this. Uh, as he said in James chapter 2, verse 14 through 26, he ended that with saying that faith, if it has no works, is dead. So you show me someone of faith that has righteousness as his aim, there's a natural inclination for him to say, I got to get involved in ministry. 
I've got to get involved in doing something for Christ. Got to sing in the choir. Got to play some instrument. I want to do something for Jesus. Why? Not because you're getting saved, but because you are saved. You see, our practice of holiness needs to be at a point where it matches our position in righteousness. A man walking with integrity will work righteousness. And his conduct will be demonstrated to that reality. And then here's the last one, number six, and I'm done. I'm out of time. The godly man speaks truth from his heart. Notice what the Scripture says. Psalms 15, 2. He who walks with integrity and works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart. That's an Old Testament way of speaking the truth that's inside of your heart. It's coming out. What is the truth that's inside of our heart? Well, if we are just using Old Testament, we go to uh, the book of Ecclesiastes where Solomon says, God's put eternity in your heart. Uh, and look, regardless, regardless of our culture's religious state, which is we're a post-Christian nation, God have mercy on our soul, which means the fastest growing religion in the United States of America is atheism, which is a, it's a truth. But I know of no atheist at some point in their life, he or she always stops and has to ask themselves the question, is God real? And they willfully go against their conscience by saying, no, he's not. And, and then, they, then they, they give us the information that truth is relative. No, no, listen, friend, truth is absolute. It's absolute. I don't care how you dice this thing up. I'm absolutely getting older. Uh, Pastor Mark's wife reminded me of this yesterday. I was on the lawnmower cutting the grass, and they're, they are renting my basement. And uh, I'm cutting the grass, and she looks out there. She says, I didn't know who that white-headed man out there was cutting the grass. I got mad, so I cut my hair. And then I looked in the mirror and saw my beard all gray. I shaved it off too. And then I sat over there and looked over and Donna hits me on the shoulder and she said, Hey, baby face. I said, God, I can't win for it. I'm either young or old. There ain't no in between. But, but it's a fact. The Bible says it's appointed a man once to die and after that the judgment. Every one of us are getting old. Let me give you another truth. Here's another absolute truth, Richard. This will blow your mind. Nobody in this room can fly. I know it's earth-shattering, isn't it? You don't believe me? Get on top of the roof and jump off. Try it. No, you better not. I hadn't been here, I don't know, I think I'd been here like uh, maybe two months. And I got me some new glasses. This is another testimony of my getting old. I had to get bifocals. That'll bless your heart. Can I get a witness? And I was up here preaching. I was over here somewhere. Y'all remember that day? You remember that? Bless God, my, I, I, I caught the line here and I couldn't see the step. And bless God, I fell off. I jumped and I landed on my feet. I thought I was doing good. But really the fact of the matter is I'm just old and I can't see. It's a fact. The Bible tells us God put eternity in your heart. And if we're going to speak from our heart and know the truth, and if the truth really sets you free, then you will spend an eternity somewhere. I'm going to be honest with you. It's not preached a lot. Now, I'm, I'm definitely out of time, so I'm closing up, but I'm going to end on this. It's not preached a lot today, but the bottom line is simply this. There is still, still a hell that people go to every day. 
When you die, you'll either go to heaven or you'll go to hell. Those that go to heaven are be those that have been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Those that go to hell are those that have shunned Jesus. Say, well, not today, not right now. I'll do it when I'm older. But the fact of the matter is simply this. Whether you be an atheist, agnostic, whether you just be indifferent or wait, you will die and you will face God. So let me ask you a question. If you search the truth of your heart, and you look deep down in the recesses of your heart and you find that the truth of the Bible really does exist that you are going to spend an eternity somewhere search your heart it's there where are you gonna spend an eternity you will either spend eternity with God or you'll spend an eternity without God but you will spend an eternity you might be here today and say, wow, you know what? I've never looked at it like that. Well, dear friend, listen to me very carefully. Upon praying for this message, I just asked God, God, would you give me something to help daddies today? And this is what the Lord gave me. And by no stretch of the imagination is it a comprehensive list. It is a very, very short list. There's so many other things we could go into. But the most important thing, daddy, is this. Do you know where you're going to spend an eternity? There are two groups of people here this morning. Those that know where they're going and those that hope they know where they're going. Dear friend today, I want to tell you, you can know. So how can you know, preacher? According to the Bible, not me, the Bible. The Bible says right here, 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe in the name of the Son of God. That verse gives us a double impact in knowing that we're going to heaven based on what? Knowing Jesus Christ as Savior. Do you know Jesus? I wonder this morning. Could we bow for prayer? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, maybe you're here today and maybe, just maybe, the Lord spoke to your heart from this perspective. The Lord said, Dad, You hadn't been reading your Bible like you should. You listening to those co-workers tell them jokes and you used to not laugh at them, but now you're starting to. You used to be in Sunday school. Now you're not anymore. You used to come to church. Now if you come to church, you won't even come in the worship service. Listen to me, Christian. If the Lord's speaking to you, would you do business with him, dear friend? In just a moment, we're going to stand, and I'm going to invite everyone to come and to get right with God. Exercise 1 John 1, 9. I'm calling daddies, but anybody can come. I had mamas come in the last service. Dear friend, Christian, God loves you. He's a God of another chance. Would you come get right with him today? And then there's somebody here today that's lost. If you died, you'd split hell wide open. And God has got your number today, and he said, today's the day of your salvation if you'll trust me. And so right where you're sitting, from your heart to God's heart, 
Would you cry out to God and say something like this? Would you say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I believe that you are the Messiah. And this morning, I'm not running away anymore. I am running to you. And I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I ask you to forgive me of my doubt. I repent of my sin. And I trust you as my Savior. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name.